Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome and happy Easter to all of you, uh, Christians all across the world, celebrating Easter and Messianic uh, Jews, celebrating Easter across the world. And, you know, it's it's interesting to me this, the way we celebrate different things. And uh, one of these days I'm going to I'm going to unpack that. It's a, it's kind of a, kind of a, there's a lot of, a lot of things that people don't realize about Easter. I shouldn't say a lot of people, uh, some people don't realize. So, but I do appreciate you joining me today. I know that uh, many of you who are listening are listening with your families. Uh, You've just filled your belly. You ate a little bit early so you can uh, maybe have, have some snacks later, maybe make some sandwiches out of the, uh, the turkey or some of you that eat ham and uh, the mu- the uh, what do you call those things? Um, I don't remember what they're called. Rolls, the rolls. And so we, uh, so it, you, I can't hear you. So if you're munching, it won't bother me. So listen, I just do really appreciate it. And um, hey, I wanna I wanna say something now before I forget about it, and then we'll get started. Um, I've become friends with a guy by the name of Stephen Powell, and he runs an amazing national company called Patriot Outdoors. Patriot Outdoors. It is absolutely outstanding. And I want to let you know that there are some really uh, pretty grand opportunities for you uh, starting April 23rd. And it's held in the state of Maryland, but it's really close to the Delaware line. So if you live in Maryland, Delaware, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, uh, even, uh, uh, you know, northern Virginia, places like that, you should really think about coming for this or several others. And we have lots of great places to stay right around here, like five minutes from the training location. I'm real familiar with the training location, and it's a good place. Um, this Patriot Outdoors, I'm telling you, is is an extraordinary company and led by some amazing believers. And uh, chief among them, the founder, uh, Stephen, is just awesome. And I'm really enjoying our growing friendship. But look, there's something called Handgun Fundamentals. That's Saturday, April 23rd, 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's designed for new handgun owners or shooters who have no prior former firearms training. And the Handgun Fundamentals uh, class provides you with, with all of that uh, and then some. Now, there's, there's a tactical skill builder on Saturday at, from 1 to 2. It's another class you can take. Uh, it's it's a one-hour course, fe- features multiple drills to enhance your abilities with regard to a specific drill, and, and then I won't go into further on that. Um, 
And then uh, Saturday, the 23rd, 2 to 8 p.m., this is going to be defensive handgun, too. And this is going to help build upon the firm foundation you developed in defensive handgun one. I'm going to say that you should really think about uh, – and, and I'm, I'm being sincere here. You, you should really think about all day. Just stay in there all day into the evening. Um, I'm going to tell you the value. I know the costs of it are ridiculously low. Um, and I'm going to tell you the truth. It, you know, this deal is – they're coming from New Mexico to teach us through a company called Trintac, which is a great gun store uh, in, um, I guess it's a Middletown address, Middletown, Delaware, at 301 and 896, right where it goes together. And great people there. Uh, nobody has paid me for this, uh, by the way. So this is just me trying to help you out. How do you do it? You go to PatriotOutdoors.com, and you will be able to sign up for that class. And I, I'll tell you the truth. I I'm amazed that they can do this. In fact, I don't know how they can do it, but he's doing it. Uh, my buddy Darren, great friend of the show, great personal friend uh, and hunting buddy. He, uh, he, he, in fact, he has the distinction after my crash. I, it was the first time I ever went hunting, and uh, he's the guy I trusted to go with. So um, anyway, if you know my story, you know that, that, that that's a big deal. So anyway, all that said to say this, that you know, take the opportunity. Don't miss it. It is truly uh, a great opportunity. So I would just really strongly encourage you to do that. Um, now, what what I would also say is that I'm if I'm here, if I'm in town, uh, I'm going to try to be there. Um, you never know where I am at any given point in time, but, um, you know, I'm going to try to be there at least to visit and, and maybe hand out some books and uh, just, you know, cheer them on. Uh Okay, so really quick, tomorrow, I always forget this, so I'm trying to try and remember today. Tomorrow on our Monday show, 4 to 6, um, there's going to be a lot of good information handed out. And then right after that, boy, i got a jet. i got to finish on time because i gotta, I got a boogie on up to northern Delaware. And uh, I'm going to be speaking at the – and this is on my website, drshawngreener.com. It's also on theninjapastor.com. Go over to blog. There's an announcement there about it, all the details. I encourage you, if you're a Republican or you're curious about the Republicans, contact the contact information there on that blog post and see if they'll allow you to come. They're good people, really, really good people. And uh, I'm going to be delivering kind of a a bit of a powerful message to them. And uh, it's going to sting their ears a little bit. It's going to sting their toes a little bit. But it's going to be good for them. It's going to be good for the Republican Party. Excuse me, going to be good for – conservatives in general, to be quite honest with you. So all that said to say this, I would encourage you to go to that. But listen to the show tomorrow, 4 to 6, same place. You know, go to the ninjapastor.com. There'll be an announcement there. There'll be a short link and, and all that stuff. If you're on social media, uh, well, by the way, when you go to the ninjapastor.com, if you're there for more than 30 seconds, there's going to be a little pop-up that comes up that says, you know, would you like to join our mailing list? Um, we're not going to bug you to death. I don't do a 1,000 posts a day. Uh, it's not on post. It's just things that I specifically want to send out to the list. Join all the other people that are involved. You get reminders, show reminders, things like that, uh, places where I'll be, um, initiatives that I'm involved in, and, and great opportunities. But you're not going to be spammed or anything like that. And we don't. Se- I don't know how to sell it to anybody, so I won't sell it to anybody anyway. Um, but join us there. There's a donate button if you are if you believe in what we do and and you want to support that and you have the ability to do it. 
uh, and God moves your heart to do that, then I would love that if you do it. And, and it's very secure, super secure. You know me. That's how I do things. Um, we have an opportunity uh, to expand to 10 terrestrial and um, Internet outlets at once. We've been offered the opportunity to do that. The thing is, is it costs me some money to do it. Uh, it's a, a pretty fair amount of money, and it's going to require a pretty significant um, commitment, uh, financial commitment on my part. And uh, so if you'd like to partner in that, if that's something you'd like to do, then then uh, contact us through the website, uh, theninjapastor.com, drstrongreader.com. That'd be great. It is a huge opportunity for us to reach a whole lot more people, a whole lot more people in some major, 10 major cities, uh, Tampa, Denver, uh, you know, I could list them. There's a whole bunch of them. But, and that just happened the other day. So if you'd like to be a part of that, I'd, I'd love to incorporate you in that. Um, we don't waste anything that we do here. Uh, we're real serious about being uh, very, very uh, trustworthy and, and all that. We don't, I don't want you to think that there's a gazillion people uh, giving. Uh, there have been several really faithful people that have given uh, one-time gifts, and then our, of course our Kehala, uh, they donate on a weekly basis, and I and I I'm so touched by that. When we speak live, that's what they do. Um, so I, I just want to uh, I want to share that with you. It's a huge opportunity. Um, the only way that we can do it is if we have the financial backing to do it. Uh, we do this totally out of my own pocket. So, so almost every this is Easter, and I know this is strange to a lot of people. Um, I've I've been asked, you know, we do the marketing for this. Almost every believer's asked the questions that I'm gonna if I'm gonna you know I'm gonna share it with you. I'm gonna share the questions. It's not a secret. Um, I w- I will be fair to you and and just tell you that a lot of pastors don't want to be asked this question, let alone have to answer it. They'll, they'll do everything they can, everything they can to avoid it. Everything. They don't want to, they just don't want to be asked this because it's one of the tougher questions that we can be asked as, as pastors and, and people of faith. There's a lot of people out there that they just don't want to they don't. They're, they're people of faith. Maybe they're prominent or whatever, and they just don't want to be asked these questions because they're tough. And 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 so I'm going to just say to you, uh, literally, almost every believer I've ever been close enough to earn their vulnerability and sincerity. You know, as you become friends with somebody, as, as they start to realize, look, he's not just a, a church word factory. He's not just regurgitating. Uh, a bunch of like secret speak that he's real. You know, I've been around a little bit. I I have not always been a pastor, and I've lived a little bit. If you go to the ninjapastor.com, go to about that'll explain a lot of that. Go to executiveprotectionteam.com, that'll explain a lot of that. You'll realize I've been out and about a little bit. So, uh, you know, granted, I have advanced degrees and grad and post grad degrees in, in theology. Um, go Masters, uh, Masters Divinity School. Well, I guess it's Masters International School of Divinity now. But, um, y- you know, I've had a lot of training, but I've also lived a lot. So I've been asked this question a lot. Dr. Sean, if God is indeed all-powerful and all-loving, why do Christians still suffer? 
There's more to the question, though. I mean, look, that's a hard, that's a hard question right there. That part is hard. But how about this part? And if they're faithfully serving God, really doing what the Bible says they're supposed to do, living how they're supposed to live, living, living how the Bible, how Scripture says they're supposed to live, then why do they still suffer at times? Why? The question is so significant that the answer it, it look, this is this is a this is one of the toughest top questions ever in our faith and I think if we'd stop being so afraid to answer it. I think I think we would have more people turn to Christ, but here's what happens. The question is so significant that the answer often or lack thereof, the answer or lack thereof determines whether somebody will become or maybe even remain a believer in Christ and God or not. First, let me share something I was sent this week. And ironically, I was sent – I've never seen this uh, before this. This guy's a good writer, Jonathan Merritt. Um, but this Holy Week, I was, I was sent this, and I was blown away by it, blown away by it. It was really, really powerful. And uh, it's stuff that I've, I've preached about, I've spoken in speeches about. Um, I, I speak about all kinds. By the way, if, if you'd ever like me to come to one of your organizations uh, or your church or wherever it is, I do keynote seminars. I do keynote speaking at seminars. I do seminars themselves. Uh, we speak on a myriad of topics, including um, personal and executive protection, uh, personal security, things of that nature, as well as theological things. Uh, we talk on a lot of different topics, so Excellence is one of them. I wrote a book, by the way, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. It's available on our website, theninjapastor.com uh, or drshawngreener.com. So so this is three untrue Christian cliches you've probably used but shouldn't. Again, this is by Jonathan Merritt. I really liked it, so I wanted to share it with you because I thought, wow, this really fits because here we are. You know, They say this is the um, – this is the – what do they call it, Super Bowl for pastors. This is, you know, this is, this is the trifecta, I guess, you know, Christmas. There's a, there's a saying, what type of Christian only comes to church on, you know, certain, like the high holy days, Christmas, Easter, and what's the other one? I don't remember the other one is. There's one more. I thought there were three. Anyway, um, I don't know if you know, but I have a brain injury. So I have an excuse. What's yours? Uh, So anyway, it's three untrue Christian cliches you probably use, but shouldn't. And this new book, he he wrote this book um, exposing popular Christian cliches as unbiblical and damaging. And I talk about this, and I was blown away. Um, You know, I was blown away. Wow, you know what? Let me just read them to you because I don't want to tip you off. I don't want to tip you off. So this is a new book, and it exposes these popular Christian cliches as unbiblical and damaging. Well, I will say this. You might say damaging seems like it's a little bit over over the edge, but really and truly it's not. Uh, Damaging, it's absolutely true. When God closes a door, God opens a window. You guys have heard that, right? All of you here have heard that all across the world. You listening across the world, sharing your Easter dinner with us? Thank you, by the way. There are some folks that are messaging me that are telling me, yeah, we've got you on the speaker there. My family and you were having Easter dinner together. Awesome. I'll take an extra roll. I really like those with some butter. I'm not really supposed to have white flour, but it's Easter. So anyway, 
Uh, you know what I love? I love, uh, which is also, I shouldn't eat this either, is, is uh, I really love stuffing and gravy. Stuffing and gravy. Mm-mm-mm. Anyway, I digress. This inspirational phrase is, is common among Christians, and it can be found on various China-made trinkets at your local religious bookstore. But when spoken to someone just handed a terminal diagnosis or languishing in poverty, the saccharine saying turns toxic. Sometimes the door closes and the windows are nailed shut. Remember, we're talking about when a door, when God closes a door, God opens a window. In an area of spiritual sentimentality, Christian cliches like this can circulate among the faithful without scrutiny. We accept them because we want them to be true. But when we forge the scriptures from them, they're nowhere to be found. And when we speak them at the wrong moment or at the wrong, to the wrong person, they can cause a tidal wave of emotional damage. Several of these phrases are debunked in Adam, Adam Hamilton's new book, Half-Truths, God Helps Those Who Helps Themselves, and other things the Bible doesn't say. As a pastor and Bible scholar, Hamilton helps us see the, uh, the both the theological and emotional implications of our most common Christian cliches. Here are three that are particularly damaging. You ready? You might want to write these down. I don't know. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. If you're driving, do not write this down. Everything happens for a reason. Our, a favorite phrase given to those who are suffering. This one can rub salt in an open wound, though. You know, I remember what I said at the beginning. Look, these, these, these are wrong, but they're not harmless. Here's why. It's as if we're saying that even the most terrible events were meant to be. As Hamilton writes, we seek to console the others and others seek to console us by saying that God has a particular purpose for bringing about, or at least allowing, situations in which people suffer. The scriptural reasoning behind this cliche is often derived from Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The Apostle Paul, uh, or his real name in Hebrew, Shaul, uh, does not... He doesn't say that everything happens for a reason. He does not say that everything, genocide, cancer, depression, it's part of God's will. Rather, Paul or Shaul says that God will take even the most reasonless suffering and use it to accomplish some good, some kind of good in the lives of those who love good. Tragedies happen in spite of God's will, not because of it. Oh, here's another one. If you, if you, you know, I'll just give you three. Uh, this is free of charge, no cost or obligation to you, by the way. God will give – all right, you guys have heard this, right? God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't give you more than you can handle. This cliche is another slap in the face to those experiencing tough times. A cursory reading of history or a few years of pastoral experience reveals heaps of stories about people who they have more than they can handle. God, God won't give you more than you can handle. Well, they, they're already telling you, man, I already got more than I can handle. I already have more than I can handle. I can't handle more. It's too much. It's more than I can handle. So there's something wrong with that. The first four words by themselves illustrate just how damaging this idea is. God won't give you. As Hamilton says in his book, when we say those words, we're implying that whatever lousy things are happening in your life, God gave them to you. And you know where they get this. The scriptural reasoning behind this cliche is often derived from 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. 
and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He'll provide you an escape. The context for this verse is temptation. It's not trials or tragedies, as Hamilton himself writes. It's not that God won't give you more than you can handle, but that God will help you handle all that you've been given. That's strong, right? How about love the sinner? This is the third one. Love the sinner, but hate the sin. This cliche is also, it, look, it's just one of those ones that have been used with increasing frequency in recent years because, look, here's how it's invoked. It's invoked by conservative Christians that get into debates about homosexuality and gay marriage. Let's be honest. You know that's where it comes from. And many who use the phrase don't intend to harm others but wish to express love for another person at some level. The scriptural reasoning behind this cliché is unclear. Jesus never asked us to love the sin or hate the sin, and neither did any other biblical writer. The closest phrases in, to this in Christian history, as Hamilton writes, are a letter from St. Augustine to a group of nuns encouraging them to have love for mankind and hatred of sins. The clearest use of this phrase derives from Mahatma Gandhi in his 1929 autobiography, Hate the Sin and Not the Sinner. But Gandhi's full statement has a a little bit of a different flavor. Hate the sin and not the sinner is a precept which, though easy enough to understand, is rarely practiced. And that is why the poison of hatred spreads the world. Gandhi rightly observed that it is difficult, probably impossible, to see someone else firstly as a sinner and to focus on hating their sin without developing some sort of level of disdain for the person. Perhaps this is why Jesus didn't ask us to love sinners, but to love neighbors and enemies. As Hamilton writes, I think Jesus knew that if he commanded his disciples to love the sinner, they would begin looking at other people more as sinners than as neighbors. And that inevitably would lead to judgment. If I love you more as a sinner than as my neighbor, then I am bound to focus more on your sin. I'll start looking for all the things that are wrong with you. And perhaps without intending it, I will be, I'll, I'll be thinking about a relationship like this. This is, this is how I do it. You are a sinner, but I graciously choose to love you anyway. Now, if that sounds a little puffed up, self-righteous, and even prideful to you, then you have perceived accurately. Instead of loving others because you perceive them to be sinners, perhaps we should focus on loving them despite the fact that I am, that you are a sinner. If we all learn to do this, perhaps the most damaging cliches in our collective vernacular will slowly be replaced by more gracious, life-giving, and yes, biblical words. Okay, so that's strong, folks. That's Jonathan Merritt. Uh, really, really good. Uh, JonathanMerritt.com. Super good guy. Just wrote that. And he's very, very good. Now, on to the Christian Easter. And this might really strike you as an incongruent, incongruent topic to discuss, but I promise you I'll tether this with the observance of the resurrection. And make no mistake about it, the, the, the grave is empty. The grave is empty. Friday was, was a horrible day. Torture and murder, unjustly. The, most un, the, the greatest injustice of all time. And then the grave was silent. And then today, or the third day, it burst forth with life. Praise God. Thank God we have that. Look, if you don't remember last week's scripture, I'm going to remind you. I'll read it to you. It's, it's from 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. This is the complete – people ask me all the time. I get messages now. What's, what, what Bible do you read? Um, I, I have 
my family will tell you I have a lot of Bibles. I have boxes and boxes and boxes of actual Bibles, and then I have many more uh, online. And I can tell you that I, I read different translations, but what I use usually to preach from uh, as my primary would be the complete Jewish Bible, uh, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard uh, Version, and the New King James. And so, but the complete, this is the complete Jewish Bible, just so you know. Dear friends, don't regard as strange the fiery ordeal occurring among you to test you. And if something extraordinary were happening to you, rather, another, let me, well, all right, I'll just keep going. I'll keep going. Because if I, if I stop, I, I love reading scripture. I don't know about you. I love it. It's so rich. There's so much to it. It's powerful. Rather, to the extent that you share the fellowship of the Messiah's sufferings, rejoice so that you will rejoice even more when his Shekinah is revealed. Somebody's asking me, you mentioned this is part two. Yes, you can listen to part one. Uh, go to drshawngreener.com, theninjapastor.com. Go over to that. Go over to the blog post that mentions this. There'll be a short link there. Or if you're over on uh, blogtalkradio.com backslash theninjapastor, it'll be in our – and it, we're also on iTunes. I always forget to mention that too. So we're also on iTunes. So anyway, re, uh, rejoice so that you will rejoice even more when a Shekinah is revealed. If you are being insulted because you bear the name of the Messiah, how blessed you are. For the spirit of the Shekinah, that is the spirit of God, is resting on you. Let none of you suffer for being a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler in other people's affairs. Hmm? Eh? Ooh, that's going to be tough for me to read over. But if anyone suffers for being messianic, let him not be ashamed, but let him bring glory to God by the way he bears his name. For the time has come for the judgment to begin. It begins with the household of God, and if it starts with us, then what will the outcome be for those who are disobeying God's good news? If the righteous is barely delivered, where will the ungodly and sinful end up? Then verse 19, so let those who are suffering according to God's will, entrust themselves to a faithful creator by continuing to do what is good. That's First Peter 4, 12 through 19. Look, it isn't strange that Christians have trials. In verse 12, it's, it, it reads this way. Dear friends, don't regard as strange the fiery ordeal occurring among you to test you, as if something extraordinary was happening to you. Some thought that salvation meant no more trials. Some thought, hey, man, I pray this little insurance prayer, and it's easy street. Easy street. It's all good. Man, am I glad. I, I prayed a prayer. It took me 10 seconds to pray. I just repeated, uh, I just repeated it, and it's just, uh, you know, great. And you know what? Everything is, everything is perfect. Everything is easy. Just peachy, 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 peachy. Some some thought that salvation meant no more trials. Some thought some thought, hey man, I get saved and it's easy street. I got plenty of money, I got plenty of food, I got a great job, got a great family. Everything's great, great health, everything. Nobody's mean to me. Look, Yeshua is the son of the Most High, yet he was tortured on Friday. He was tortured despite being sinless. There was nobody on this planet ever at any time that was more pure than Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. And he was tortured. 
He's the very Son of God. He's the very He He is the only begotten Son. I do a message. What if uh, John three sixteen weren't true? What if that didn't happen? That'd be a great, along with the first part of this series. That'd be a great message for you to listen to. It's also free. All the stuff is free. We pay for it. You don't have to. Look, it's not an easy road. This this road to heaven we're traveling on together. It's not easy. Easy for Christ either. But I assure you of this. I assure you of this. It was necessary. Christians have trials because we live in a sinful world. Christ didn't sin. Yeshua Hamashiach, he didn't sin, I just said it. He was sinless, without sin. Nada in the sin department, yet in the sin department, none. Sero, zip, didn't sin at all. Perfect. In every way. And yet, he suffered and he died hours of criminal torture. Folks, I do a sermon. Uh, I love when I'm asked to, to, to travel and, and preach different places uh, on, on Easter Resurrection Sunday. I, I really like to – there's a uh, – you, you can look it up on uh, iTunes or TheNinjaPastor.com or any of those. You can look it up there called Tortured for Love, Jesus Who Tortured for Love. I will say this, if you listen to it, I don't know that it is for little kids to hear, real, real little kids. I mean it in all sincerity. I, I really honestly don't know that it's for the best for them because it is very graphic. Tortured for love, Jesus who tortured for love. What he went through. And and I I will be clear with you on this. He went through it voluntarily. In the Garden of Geth, Gethsemane, you know, pressed of olives, it, you know, the olive press. That's what that means. Gethsemane. Uh, he asked. He wasn't mandated in any way. He could have walked away. But why did he do it? Why did he suffer? Why did he die after hours of criminal torture? He did it for me. He did it for you, but why? Why? Why would he do it? We're part of a fallen race. Listen, it's this is a world, and if you don't get this now, maybe maybe you should get a TV, maybe you should get radio, maybe maybe you should get the internets, the interweb. This is a world of wars and rumors of wars. wars. This is a world of tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes. This is a world where sin runs and greed. Brings violence. Christians have trials because of the power of Satan. We have an adversary. Ephesians six eleven and twelve. Use all the armor and weaponry that God provides, so that you will be able to stand against the deceptive tactics of the adversary. For we are not struggling against human beings, but against the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers governing this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly realm. That's Ephesians 6, 11, and 12. 
Look, you can look at the very real work of Satan on Job. Look, Job was a great guy. He said, you know, he wanted to honor God in everything he did. He had to fight against his friends. He had to fight against his kids. He even in the end had to fight against his own wife. She said, curse God and die. Friends came and, you know, very humbly. I've had this happen with me. Uh, it was the last thing in the world I, I needed or wanted to hear, but a very godly, pious man who thought he was very godly and pious, more so than he was, came to my bedside and puts on his little church voice, his little effeminate church voice, and he says, I'm just, um, I've just been praying, you know, uh, this suffering you're going through. I just want to make sure there's no unconfessed sin. No, I got a jacked up body because I got a jacked up body. That's why. I'm facing death because... I'm facing death. That's the reality, bub. This is how it goes. Sometimes it goes this way. Why? Because you know what? It's a it's a jacked up world. I'm a sinner. Sin entered the world. It got jacked up. It got messed up. And because of that, I'm dealing with this. I don't have you know I don't have lung cancer. But if you're a heavy smoker, my dad died of lung cancer. If you're a heavy smoker. You know, 41 years he smoked, and, and it's funny because, ironic, I should say, he said, you know, why would I be mad? I asked him if he was mad at God about getting lung cancer. He goes, I smoked for 41 years. Come on. Now, he worked around asbestos and all that stuff for, you know, longer than that. And uh, we didn't know, you know. You didn't know back then. Asbestos was the greatest thing ever. But, you know, he, he doesn't pin it on the asbestos. He says, look, you know, because he did have as, asbestosis. I think now they call it mesothelioma. I don't know. But anyway, the point of this is Job, man. Job was awesome. And he was blessed in every way. And yet God said, you can't take his life. But watch, you'll see he will not curse me. He will honor me through all. You can't take his life, Satan. But you can take everything else. Look, you can't be surprised when he attacks you. When the enemy attacks you. Christians have trials because we're on a collision course with this world, a collision course. I was in a head-on 92-mile-per-hour versus 51-mile-per-hour collision, head-on. I was almost killed, a 17-year-old boy, real sweet boy in the other car. He was killed. You can't collide like that and survive. In fact, the insurance company bought the car, I'm told, bought my car, studied They didn't know anything whether anybody survived, and they sent back the report to the uh, highway safety people saying the occupant of this vehicle did not survive. Well, then I'm talking from the dead because I'm here and I'm alive. Praise God. Christians have trials because we're on a collision course with this world. John 15, 1, when Yeshua was despised and rejected, look, he says, these are the words in red, I am the real vine. And my father is the gardener. Every branch which is part of me but fails to bear fruit, he cuts off. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Right now, because of the word which I have spoken to you, you are pruned. Stay united with me, and I will with you. For just as the branch can't put forth fruit by itself apart from the vine, so you can't bear fruit apart from me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who stay united with me and I with them are the ones who bear much fruit, because apart from me you can't do a thing. Unless a person remains united with me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up. Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire. 
with hair burned up if you remain united with me. And he says this over and over, Yeshua says. If you remain united with me and my words with you fill your brain full of scripture, then ask whatever you want and it will happen for you. This is how my Father is glorified and you're bearing much fruit. This is how you will prove to be my Talmudim. Just as my Father has loved me, I too have loved you. So stay in my love. If you keep my commands, you will stay in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and stay in his love. I have said this to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command, that you keep on loving each other just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than a person who lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, I no longer call you slaves because a slave doesn't know what his master is about. But I have called you friends because everything, everything I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you. And I have commissioned you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask from the Father in my name, he may give you. This is what I command you. Keep loving each other. A lot of times, let me interrupt myself. A lot of times people will take that verse and they'll say, it's usually liberals or liberal pastors. Yes, believe it or not, there's lots of those. Liberals will say, see, we're supposed to love our enemies and not fight them. We're not supposed to fight back. This is why we're supposed to be pacifists. No, he is not talking. Let's talk in context here. He's not talking about our enemies here. He's talking about his, his Talmudim, his disciples, his brothers, his friends. That's who he's talking about. Then he goes on to say in verse 18, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world would have loved its own. But because you do not belong to the world, on the contrary, I have picked you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a slave is not greater than its master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you too. If they kept my word, they will keep yours too. But they will do all this to you on my account. Because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done in their presence works which no one else ever did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen them and have hated both me and my father. But this has happened in order to fulfill the words in their Torah, which read, They hated me for no reason at all. When the counselor comes, whom I will send you from the father, the spirit called the paraclete, the spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, uh, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, who keeps going out from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. And you will testify too, because you have been with me from the outset. Amen. Welcome to the folks in chat. Thank you so much for joining us. I meant to announce that that was open. Thank you so much for joining us uh, today. It's, it's, um, it's a fun, fun place. There's lots of good stuff going on there. So that's John 15, 1 through 27. His life was in opposition to the course of the world. Folks, you can't look at how Christ lived his life and, and the things that he did. And Look, we look at it now and we think, well, why did they not like him? 
that's he seemed to be the most awesome, incredible person ever to walk the planet. He made people not blind. People walk when they've never walked. He made people who had the terrible, dreaded disease of leprosy. He made them well. He made them clean. The demon possessed. He made them pure and filled with the Holy Spirit in a second. His life was in opposition to the course of the world. The world was on a, on a collision course, as I've said. That's why through the, throughout the centuries, Christians have suffered. But the Christians' trials, folks, are verse 13 and 14 of our text, verse Peter uh, 4. Rather to the extent, this is verse 13, rather to the extent that you share the fellowship of the Messiah's sufferings, rejoice, so that you will rejoice even more when his Shekinah is revealed. If you are being insulted because you bear the name of the Messiah, how blessed you are. For the spirit of the Shekinah, that is the spirit of God, is resting on you. Look, he does not suffer alone. The Christian doesn't suffer alone. Other Christians stand together in suffering. I'm reminded of that story, and I don't have much time, so I have to hurry and tell the story. I've told it before on the air and in different speeches I've given around the United States. Uh, you know, not that long ago, there was a, uh, a videotaped execution um, murder, mass murder, by ISIS, Islam. And, you know, they love the tape. They love to put music with it and all this stuff. And But they dubbed out what this guy said right before he died. And there was a guy who was actually uh, African, but he wasn't, he wasn't, um, he wasn't uh, Christian. He wasn't Jewish, and he certainly wasn't Muslim. Uh, he, he was kind of nothing. And these, these people that were with him, these men who were with him, were being beheaded because they were Christians. And they would be asked one by one, do you reject Jesus? Do you worship Allah? And they'd say, we worship Jesus. One by one, they were beheaded, live, slowly having their heads cut off with a, with a knife. I mean, not fast, not painless, terrible, horrific. They get to this guy, and they surely think he's going to go, Oh, no, I'm a big fan of Allah. Let me tell you, As-salamu alaykum. I like him. Let me keep my head on. But he didn't. He didn't. What he said was, Their God is my God. Praise God. And that moment when that knife cut through and severed his life, Scripture tells us, and in fact, the example on the cross of the penitent thief, even today you will be with me in paradise because he acknowledged Christ. He didn't live a whole lifetime of purity. I'm so pure and I'm so pious. He didn't live like that. In a moment of testimony of faith, which cost him his life, this man was murdered by Islam because he said, their God is my God. Man, oh man. But as he entered heaven, in just a, a split second, as he entered heaven, all those who were next to him, I'm sure, along with the angels in heaven, were rejoicing. No matter how he lived his life, he's going to spend eternity with Christ. Romans 8.18 tells us he has the day of glory ahead. 
I don't think the sufferings we are going through now are even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us in the future. This is what Romans 8.18 says. I don't think the sufferings we're going through now are even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us in the future. Those of you who know my personal story know I'm in 24-7 pain. I'm in pain all the time. I never get a break from it. But I'm here to tell you, one of the things that gets me through is I remember this pain, this suffering is nothing compared to the glory and the joy and the perfection that Christ is going to give me when I enter unjustly, by the way, the gates of heaven and I see his face. Here's the other thing. The Christian who is suffering can find joy even in jeopardy. Acts 16.25, around midnight, Shaul and Silas, Paul and Silas, were praying and singing hymns to God while the other prisoners listened attentively. You need to understand, they were five feet off the ground. Their hands and their feet were behind them. They were hanging five feet off the ground, hands and feet shackled, their entire body weight. And they were singing and praying hymns to God. And the other prisoners listened attentively. They found joy in spite of their jeopardy. We also know, according to Matt 5:11, uh, Matthew 5:11, he can rejoice even in reproaches. How blessed you are when people insult you and persecute you and tell all kinds of vicious lies about you because you follow me, even though people say horrible things about us. We can rejoice. Even in the reproaches, we can rejoice because we're blessed when people insult us and persecute us and tell all kinds of lies about us because we follow Christ. Look, even in his dark hours, Christ is working in him. Sometimes Christians bring suffering upon themselves, though. We know from verses uh, in our in our First Peter four fifteen through 19, Let none of you suffer for being a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or a meddler in other people's affairs. Listen, you can't. Bring this upon yourself. Sometimes, Christians, though, we're our own worst enemy. Hurts, habits, and hang-ups. How can we be mad if we smoke our whole life, end up with lung cancer or heart disease? We can't. If we don't watch our eating, look, I had a fellow, I think I taught him, I don't remember how old he was, in um, Sunday school years ago down in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, you know, he he was very, very overweight, I mean, morbidly obese, and um, sadly, he passed away today, or yesterday evening. Terrible, terrible loss. Fun, funny guy, but something in him. He had a hurt habit or hang-up that involved food. I don't know the whole story, but I can tell you this. Man, you can't, when you see the face of God, if you're a believer, and you can't blame him. God, why'd you let me die? But praise God, our bodies are transformed at that moment into perfection. But look, don't be a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a gossip, a meddler in other people's affairs. Get out of people's business. But if anyone suffers for being messianic, in other words, believing in Christ, let him not be ashamed. Let him bring glory to God by the way he bears his name. For the time has come for the judgment to begin. Man, can I get an amen? It begins with the household of God. Listen, we're going to suffer first. And if it starts with us, what will the outcome be for those who are disobeying God's good news? If the righteous are barely delivered, where will the ungodly and sinful end up? 
So let those who are suffering according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator by continuing to do what is good. Let's look at that. Let none of you suffer as a murderer. John 3:15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You say I've never killed anybody, but you hate your brother. John 3:15 says everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. A busybody. Ooh. He takes time in this passage to mention busybodies, people who meddle in other people's affairs. Verse 15 ends with, he includes you in a list of evildoers, murderers, thieves. I know the word is thieves. I just like saying it wrong. A busybody, somebody who murders people's reputations. It's no small thing. It's nothing to laugh off. Proverbs six sixteen through 19. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. Let me say this. Abortion doctors, abortion nurses, Abortion providers and purveyors of death of the innocent, that's you. Hands that kill the innocent. A heart that plots evil. Listen, if you're always messing with people and you you just always messing with people, you're a heart that plots evil. If you're always in a hurry to do the wrong thing, you have feet that race to do wrong. And if you're a liar who pours out lies, guess what? This is you're named here. God hates you. These are things that he hates. A person who sows discord in a family. Listen, you mess around with somebody's family, and you try to mess them up by sowing discord, guess what? You're on that list. I'm going to say this, and I'll move on. I'm going to talk more about this on tomorrow's show from 4 to 6 p.m. Let me tell you, folks, I don't care who you're voting for. Well, I do care, but I can't change that. When it comes out that this National Enquirer crap about Ted Cruz I'm I'm hoping that it's so roundly proven false, so obviously and completely proven. Now, there's some people that are never going to believe it, no matter what, no matter what. They're never going to believe it. But when it comes out, the people behind this, this is about you. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, this is about you. I wouldn't want to be in their shoes. Look. Some think that they're looked down upon for their testimony when it's only for their meanness. Look, if you're a Christian who is you know, hyper-pious, you think you're all that, you got the language, you got the haircut, you got the clothes, you know how to purse your lips, you know just the right words to say, right? Remember those three cliches? If you're one runs around saying those cliches, you got it all down. Sometimes you're looked down upon not because of that, but because you're mean. Because you're ignorant to people, because you cut people off, because you tell stories about them, because you lie, you sow discord in their family. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't invite suffering through hypocrisy. You know what? Sometimes Christians engage in habits or practices that bring about suffering. Hurts, habits, and hang-ups, they really jam us up. I'll tell you what, especially those habitual sins that at first they don't jam us up. We get maybe a little bit into it, and we well, nothing happened so far. 
Those are the things we get away with. Sometimes those are the things that jam us up. Sometimes Christians suffer because of backsliding. And the resultant chastening. Look, folks, Hebrews 12, 6 and 7. For Adonai disciplines those he loves and whips everyone he accepts as a son. Regard your endurance as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son goes undisciplined by his father? Look, sometimes we bring this stuff upon us, upon ourselves, our hurts, habits, and hang-ups, because we reject God. We, we go through, and we're fickle, aren't we? We're fickle. People. And it's a shame. It's a shame. We fall away, uh, we fall down, and we get up. Saints are just sinners who fall down and then get up. Bob Carlyle, We Fall Down. Google that song. I'm telling you right now, powerful song. Uh, the first time I heard that song, I bought that album back when they used to sell albums. But it wasn't an album then; it was a CD. And I remember I'd never heard it because it wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't put out on the radio very much. Butterfly Kisses. It's it's that album. You guys remember that? I know my daughter's going to make me cry. She's going to play that in the daddy daughter dance. I know that she will. I know that she will. Butterfly Kisses. Powerful song. Look. I'm telling you, folks, I'm telling you, God disciplines us because he loves us. We fall down, but we stand up. We fall down, but we stand up. We're going to fall down. We are going to fall down. But we have to keep standing up. But listen, sometimes when we, when, when we are hiding, we've got to realize that God gets our attention. Listen, he whispers to us in our pleasure. He shouts to us. In our pain, are you willing to suffer as a Christian? I'm asking you honestly right now. Are you willing to suffer as a Christian? When I give invitations, whenever I'm asked all across the country, I get the opportunity to speak, and whenever I do, I tell them, even if they've never had an invitation in their church, I say, listen, I'm giving an invitation. It's going to be totally different than anything you've ever had here. And they, whoa, we don't have invitations, so it's going to be totally, totally different. And we, we recommend you don't do that because, you know what, we don't want to put pressure on anybody. We figure if somebody wants any more information, they'll text us at this number with this code, and that'll tell us that they're open to us opening a dialogue. I said, man, I don't do it like that. And if I'm coming to speak, I'm going to give a, uh, an invitation. It's going to be different than anything you've ever witnessed. I tell people, unhinge your feet from that floor and take a step for Christ. If you deny him in public, he will not remember you in your kingdom, in his kingdom. Are you willing to suffer as a Christian? Folks, when you put that on your resume, there's a lot of folks, in fact, some other Christians, air quote Christians, they're going to they're gonna make fun of you. Maybe your family will make fun of you. Are you willing to suffer as a Christian? Are you willing to, to endure suffering now for later glory? Look, there's life changes that have to be made. Are you willing to make the necessary life changes to avoid bringing suffering upon yourself? Look, it seems like a simple thing, doesn't it? If we eat, we got to stop eating. If we're smokers, we got to stop smoking. God says, no, man, that's not for you. I didn't create that for you. 
if, if we're on, it may be something so simple as making sure we get enough sleep, doing all we can to get enough sleep. Maybe it's valuing the body that God gave us. Maybe it's valuing the mind. Are you willing to invest in your mind to fill your head full of scripture instead of horror movies? You wonder why you have self-doubt because you filled your head full of horror movies. You say, well, I read the Bible too and I pray. If you spend your time having to shove out all that negative and that dark, then you're not benefiting yourself or anybody else. Are you willing to make necessary life changes that at first seem like a huge thing, but then after a while you realize, no, it's not a huge thing. Are you willing to do that to avoid bringing suffering upon yourself? Listen, there's going to be so much that comes your way when you're doing the right thing when you're serving Christ, when you're honoring God with your life, it does make it easier. Not easier in the sense of you don't suffer, but easier in the sense that you know why you are. I'm so proud that you joined me today. I'm, I'm honored that you have, and I hope that you'll consider joining me tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. And if you're the Delaware, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania area, I'd love for you to join me at the, um, I think it's the Northern Delaware, uh, Northern Newcastle County, Republican uh, gathering there. I'll be speaking at the Brandywine Town Center, I think in the Acadia building. I go on about 7.30, but you want to be there about 7. Folks, I'm so honored that you would join me. I'm so honored you would take the time. I encourage you, listen, listen, you might say, well, this doesn't seem very encouraging, but where the encouragement comes is remember what today is. Today is Resurrection Sunday. Today is Resurrection Sunday, folks. The grave is empty. Praise God. The grave is empty. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.